discipleship is the title of this morning's message. So would you stand with me this morning as we read the word of God in Matthew chapter number 28 and verse number 18. And, and the Bible says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, as we read this verse of scripture, many times here in the Western culture or the church in the United States of America, we end up reading it like this. Go and make converts of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've interpreted this verse to literally mean go and get people saved. And that's good, but that's not what the verse means. Because when you study the term disciple and discipleship, it adds a whole new level of understanding to what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go ahead and preface this whole message that some of the stuff I'm going to say here this morning, I don't even qualify, okay, with a doctorate degree from the, the educational system here in the United States. I don't qualify to be what the custom of the culture was that Jesus lived in to be a disciple, okay? So I don't want you leaving here this morning saying, oh my goodness, this is absolutely impossible for me to do. I just, I, I'm just going to give up. Thank you, Lord. I'm saved by grace through faith, and I'm just going to leave it at that, and one day I'll get to heaven. That's not the point of this message, okay? The point of this message is to encourage you to rise up and become more than you've ever been before, to get very uncomfortable with where you're at and take your Christian walk to a whole nother level, to embark on a lifestyle of discipleship. Notice I said a lifestyle of discipleship, not two or three days of discipleship, not two or three days of reading the Bible, but begin to make a lifestyle practice of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we did a couple weeks ago, I'm going to bring you through about five minutes of what I call seminary download, okay? Some of y'all are shaking your head like, oh, Lord, not again. <laughs> He's going to use words that we never understand. He's going to use words that we don't really like. No, so here's what I need you to do. Everybody sit up big in your seat. I mean, yeah, some of y'all are slouched over. Sit up. Get ready to learn. I know my mic's making some crazy noises this morning, rumbling around. So get up. Get ready to learn. Get ready to hear the word of God. Because what we're going to talk about this morning sets the basis of what being a disciple really is. And we want you to take a step of faith this morning when this message is done and say, Pastor, I'm willing to be a disciple. I'm willing to try. I'm willing to give it everything I've got. I'm willing to step out there by faith and do more than I've ever done for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're with me this morning, say, oh yeah. oh, yeah. All right, here we go. So seminary download, here it comes. We're going to talk about the discipleship overview and the education system that was taking place during the time that Jesus lived. The culture of the Hasidim, which was a highly educated culture, that was the culture that Jesus lived in, in comparison to their contemporaries, particularly regarding knowledge about the memorization of scriptures. It was very highly educated. They were exceedingly above, farther beyond than all the other cultures around them in the area of the memorization of scripture. Listen to this. From the ages of 4 to the ages of 11 or 12, they participated in a school like we would call it our elementary school as Beit Sefer memorizing the books of the Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible, and the girls would memorize all of the Psalms. And so men... By the age of 11, you had to have the first five books of the Bible memorized. How many of y'all are with me this morning? I told you I don't even qualify. To, I mean, I'm not even an 11-year-old yet in their culture. So, so don't feel bad this morning, okay? But in their culture, by the ages of 11 or 12, all the young men had to have all of the first five books of the Bible memorized. More than in the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth. I mean, a little bit more than that. I mean, what, what is... Uh, 
Leviticus 5.12 say? I mean, anybody got that? I mean, I, I don't. You can Google it real quick. I mean, pull it up on your phone. But listen, this culture, they were serious about learning the word of God. And I want you to understand how serious that is for the discipleship process that they're going into. And so by the ages of 11 or 12, they had to graduate this elementary school called Beit Sefer, which is memorizing the first five books of the Bible. If they completed the Beit Sefer, the children with their family, with the, 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 the average kids, I'll say that, would go learn their family's trade. They would become a fisherman, and this is why when Jesus called his disciples, the, the disciples were out fishing. He called the fishermen. He called the tax collectors because these people would go learn uh, the, their family's trade. If they were highly educated, the most talented boys who had the Torah memorized would go to the second level of education. This is called Beit Talmud. It included the memorization of all the prophets in their writings. So you had the first five books of the Bible memorized by 11. If you were really good and had those down, like, like I'm talking genius level down, and you were amazing, you go to the next level of school called Beit Talmud, and then you would memorize all the books of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, I mean, all those books. You'd memorize Joel, the greatest prophet book. I'm just playing. I got to keep you all with me this morning. You, you, they would memorize all the writings of the prophets, so now... They wouldn't just memorize the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible. They would memorize the writings of the prophets in this, but then they would learn the application process of the first five books. So it wasn't good enough just to memorize it, but then when they were memorizing the writings of the prophets, they would have to begin to practice what they had memorized in the first five books of the Bible. And this is their second school. This would be like their middle school. This is for the ages of about 12 to 15 or 16. And now if they were really good at that, they would go on and they would graduate Beit Talmud and they would memorize all the interpretations of the prop, or, or the writings of the prophets and the interpretations of it. And at this point, at their education level, they would approach a rabbi and attempt to go further along in their education. So then they would go up and they would see a rabbi who was sitting there teaching um, the, the Talmudim, which is their group of disciples. And the Talmud, which would be an individual person, would walk up to the, to the rabbi and say, can I be your uh, Talmud or, or your disciple and they would go to one that they would look at and say hey I love what you're doing I love how you walk in the scriptures I love how you specialize in this area can I follow you and you be my rabbi and I be your disciple and then the rabbi would look at the young man and just begin to grill him I'm talking ask him what does Leviticus 5 3 say you know, what does the word of God say about this? What does Deuteronomy say? What does Moses do? What, and just begin to grill him over all the first five books of the Bible and anything in the prophets that he wanted to grill him on. Dude, I'd fail. I'm just saying. And they would go through this process, and sometimes this process would take days to get through. And then when the young man would finally get the approval of the rabbi, he would say, you can be who I am. Understand the phrasing of that. The young man will go to the rabbi and say, can I follow you? And then at this point, he would begin to grill him. And then after he passed all the tests of the rabbi, the rabbi would come to him and say, you can be who I am. Remember that phrase that I just said. You can be who I am. And then if they weren't good enough, he would say, no, go home and learn your father's trade, which would have been the most devastating blow that a young man could ever have in his life. And then after following the rabbi for sometimes years upon years upon years, when the rabbi would finally get to the point where he understood the Talmud was who he was, then 
he could be a rabbi himself and then begin to go on and have Talmudim follow him and then be a, a rabbi with his own disciples. So that's how the whole process, process worked of discipleship. Now, in the process of discipleship that took place, there was a phrase that was always used, and it was called following so close to the rabbi that the dust of the rabbi would cover you. And people would say, you're covered in the dust of your rabbi. And so the first point of this morning's message is, follow me literally. When Jesus told his disciples, come follow me, it wasn't learn what I learned, it wasn't teach what I taught, it was literally come and follow me. Do exactly what I did. And when Jesus said, follow me literally, it was imitate every move that I make. It wasn't, oh, just haphazardly, oh, I love you, Rabbi Jesus. Now I'm gonna go over here while Jesus is over there working and doing stuff. And the only time there was separation between the rabbis and his disciples was when Jesus said, you stay here, I'm going to pray. I'm so frustrated with y'all right now, I'm going to pray, is what he was saying. Jesus meant literally, follow me. So close that when he would walk, they would be so close behind them that the dust from his feet would cover them. And what that term meant was to be covered in the dust of the rabbi. And it wasn't an ugly thing. It was the most honored statement that somebody could make to a Talmud, to a disciple, that they were covered in the dust of their rabbi, that they followed so close that they were covered in the dust that came off their feet. What would it be like in your spiritual life, in your Christian walk, physically here on this earth, if you followed so close to Jesus that people said, you just look like you're covered in the glory of Jesus in every area you walk because we have not settled for being just a convert. We have went into the realm of discipleship. We've took it to a whole nother level. And so when Jesus said, follow me, it meant literally. It didn't mean figuratively. It didn't mean read what Jesus wrote. It didn't mean study what Jesus said. It means become just like the rabbi, exactly like him. So that brings me to my second point, but he's Jesus. And this is the excuse that we use all the time in the United States of America. But you don't understand, he's Jesus. But he was Jesus. Well, lay your hands on the sick, but he was Jesus. Watch miracles happen, but he was Jesus. Walk on water, but he was Jesus. And that's the cop-out term that we use many times because we have not embarked in the area of discipleship. Listen to this. The, the relationship between a rabbi and his disciple is so different than the relationship between a teacher and a student. We, we read this verse of scripture, and it's a poor interpretation of it. And Mark 10, 24 says, The student is not above his teacher, nor the servant above his master. And we have equated the, the rabbi-disciple relationship to a teacher-student relationship. And it could not be farther from the truth. It could not be farther from what Jesus meant. What it actually meant is, become who I am. When you began to follow somebody and be their disciple, it meant the phrase I said earlier, become who I am. Become who Jesus was. Do the things that Jesus did. Begin to follow who Jesus was. If you were born in my generation, and, and if you're in your, your mid-30s right now, you're going to remember the commercial, like Mike. Everybody say, like Mike for me. All right, you remember, and if you were my age, you would never forget when the Bulls were in the playoffs and won the finals six years, and they were Jordan retired, everybody's heartbroken, then he came back, and they won three more years of championships. We were so excited when he came back, but everybody who even couldn't play basketball like me, whenever you would get a basketball in your hands, what would you do? I'm going to be like Mike. <laughs> And everybody would stick their tongue out. And they're going to go slam a basketball, whether you had to jump off a trampoline, whether you had to jump off your bed, you're going to figure out a way to dunk a basketball, stick your tongue out and say, like Mike. You know, I was not the only one who did that. 
And some of y'all parents in there are saying, I know we heard our kids jumping off the bunk beds at the basketball goal on the bedroom door and ripping it off and saying, like Mike. And all the kids would run around and say, like Mike. And we want to be like Mike. And, and you would do all those things. You would try to dunk like him. You would try to look like him. You would try to act like him. You would stick your tongue out, which is hideous, by the way. I mean, when you're dunking a basketball, I'd bite my tongue off and go to a medical emergency or something. But the illustration that that presents is people are mimicking exactly what he was doing. If he stuck his tongue out, everybody stuck their tongue out. If he did a one-handed jam with his hand behind his back and slammed it down, everybody started doing it. When he sticks his foot out like this to dunk it, everybody started doing it. When he jumped from the free throw line and won a slam dunk contest, everybody started jumping from a free throw line to win a slam dunk contest. It wasn't good enough to just know about Mike. You wanted to be like Mike. You want to be just like him. What I'm getting at this morning, it is, it is not good enough to know about Jesus. If all you want to do in your Christian walk is know about Jesus, go be a scholar. Go get in the education system and just learn a bunch of stuff. Because the rabbi-discipleship relationship is not about learning a bunch of stuff. It's about being like Jesus in the actions you do, in the words that you say, in the lifestyle that you live. Because all the knowledge you have is worthless if actions do not back it up and you do not replicate who Jesus is and become who Jesus is here in this earth. And I don't want to hear the excuses, but he was Jesus. Because if Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you, can I get an amen? If Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you, you have every ability and potential to be like Jesus. And you should desire that in your life. Passionately, don't let it fall short. That I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk how he walked. I want to talk how he talked. I want to do the things that he did. You know what I, I, I'm so ready to see in our church? The miracles that Jesus did in the Bible for him to just begin to happen here in the church. Because we're disciples. We're not converts. We're disciples. And if Jesus prayed for people and amazing things happen, let's start praying for people and watch amazing things happen. And a lot of times, Jesus didn't even pray. He just laid his hands on him and spoke the word. If Jesus already said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore you go, talking about as his disciples, that means he already believes that you look enough like him and act enough like him and resemble enough like him to accomplish what he was doing. See, I got three amens on the front row on that, okay? Some of you are falling into the same trap Peter did. Y'all remember Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ? There's a certain account in the, I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus says, go, go in the boat, start going across the water, and I'll catch up with you soon, basically. And what began to happen is in Luke chapter number 25, and it says, and the fourth watch of the night came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him. Everybody say Peter. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and, Lord, and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, O oh, you of little faith. Now, remember what I talked about earlier. I talked about being covered in the dust of the rabbi and being exactly like who the rabbi was, becoming him. Understand, Peter was not out of place acting silly when he saw Jesus on the water and he said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. Because the rabbi knew that his disciples saw him and the disciples knew that we're supposed to be doing everything that the rabbi does. So when Peter realized Jesus was walking on water because he knew disciples were supposed to do everything that the rabbi did, Peter immediately clicked in his head and said, I should walk on water. 
When you read about the stuff that Jesus did, it should automatically click in your spirit. I should be doing the things that Jesus did. And so when Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. He wasn't usurping authority. He was asking the permission of the rabbi to do what he was doing. And so Jesus said, come on. How exciting would that be for you to be out in the middle of somewhere and you say, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come on. I mean, that would be absolutely amazing. But here's the problem. Many of us fall into the same trap that Peter fell into. Jesus believed in Peter's ability. Do we understand that? If Jesus did not believe in Peter's ability, he would have not told Peter to come. When Peter was walking on the water and saw the winds and the waves, he did not doubt Jesus. He doubted himself. He doubted himself. Jesus had faith in Peter. Peter didn't have faith in Peter. Jesus had faith in you. Many times you don't have faith in you. Can I get a better amen than that? That's good. There are so many times in my life I have missed God because God has told me to go, but it's not that I didn't have faith in Jesus. I didn't have faith in me that I could do what Jesus just told me to do. So you in your life, Peter wasn't doubting Jesus because he jumped out of the water when Jesus said, come. Peter began to doubt who Jesus was in him. And when he saw the winds, he began to doubt him. And as he began to sink, he said, Jesus, save me. He never doubted Jesus because Jesus was still on the water. He wouldn't have cried out to Jesus if he was doubting Jesus. He was doubting himself in the process. In your life, quit doubting yourself. You can be everything God has called you to be. And it doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter what your abilities are. It doesn't matter what your talents are. And what matters is how closely are you going to follow the rabbi and what you see the rabbi doing. Are you going to have the faith enough in what God's called you to do to step out and do what the rabbi did? Now, this isn't taught in churches regularly in America, okay? Some of you guys are looking at me like, I've never heard this before. Because we like to look at it and say, oh, he doubted Jesus and he began to sink and Jesus is the great savior and he is all those things. But Jesus left and went to heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God praying for you because he doesn't see you. He sees so much of him in you. He's expecting you to do what he did because he doesn't see you. He sees him in you. And when you begin to doubt yourself and him in you, you begin to sink. And Jesus, awesome, mighty savior, will continue to reach out his hand. But there's going to come a time when he asks you, why did you doubt? Do not doubt God on the inside of you. Do not doubt him. Take a step of faith and watch what God can do through you. So as you follow in the dust of the rabbi or follow in the footsteps of the rabbi and get covered in his dust and begin to do the things that he did, there's going to become a time when you become identified with him. When you become identified with him. Listen to this verse of scripture. It says in Acts 14, 13, or 4, 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated men, which they were, common men, which they were, and they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now listen to me on this. Peter and John and the other disciples did not graduate past the first school. Bait Sefer, they never graduated past it. At age 12, they went back to go fishing with their daddy. They went back. They were not even of the, of the second rank. Bait Talmud. They didn't make it to Bait Midrash. They were all the way back here. Jesus calling the 12 disciples was like you walking up to a kid fresh out of high school and saying, come play in the NFL right now. It made him a prodigy. He didn't go through the college ranks. So Jesus went and called a bunch of people that weren't making the cut anywhere else. That they didn't go to him. Jesus went to them and said, come follow me. Jesus also goes on to say, you didn't chose me. I chose you. If you're sitting in this building, you didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. 
Jesus picked you. He handpicked you. And it's time that we become so acquainted with Jesus that it doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter what school you go to, what degrees you have, that people begin to identify you just because you spent so much time with Jesus. They were uneducated men. Everybody began to look at these people and say, I don't understand. I don't understand how they do the things they do because number one, they're uneducated. Number two, they're common, but yet they're preaching with great boldness and authority and changing the world. It doesn't matter if you are common and uneducated sitting in this building. Why don't you begin to plug in so much to the rabbi that you begin to be identified with him and begin to walk in his authority, not your power. It is time, listen to this, it is time that we lose our identity, but not our personality. It is time we lose our identity, not our personality. Your identity is how people associate you. Your personality is what God gave you that makes you unique, special, one of a kind, and, and, and purposeful in this earth, okay? So how are you associated? When people look at you, what do they associate you with? When people look at me, the first thing they associate me with is the church. The second thing is that's Sherry's husband. <laughs> The third thing is, he's the crazy guy who does CrossFit, okay? You're associated automatically with something. What are you going to be associated with? I know when people talk about Aaron and they say, hey, this is Aaron Hanna. Oh, he's the DPS officer. He's associated with DPS. Or if you're a school teacher many times, oh, they're the school teacher. They call you by what your identity is, not necessarily who you are. So you're automatically identified with some things. And it is time that we lose our identities here on this earth, but not our personality. Because God made your personality special. He made Cody Stewart, Cody Stewart. He made Terry, Terry. He made Zach, Zach. He made Ronnie, Ronnie. He made Hope, Hope. He made Sherry Sherry. He didn't want to change their personality, but he does want to change who you're identified with. He wants to change your identification card. And when he begins to change your identification card, that means you're becoming like the rabbi. That means you're becoming like Jesus did. Let me phrase this in a different way as we talk about Paul. The Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is I that no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, I don't even want to be identified as Paul anymore. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives within me. Paul said, I have an identity change. It took him a while to overcome that identity change. If you'll if you read the, the, the life of Paul, the first few years he was in ministry, and he said, oh, I'm preaching Jesus. Now people were freaked out, and they're thinking, this is just a plan, a deception, because he's going to kill us like he did everybody else. So it took Paul a while to reestablish a new identity in his life. Paul goes on to say this in his writings. I want to know Christ. Now I want to stop right there. Paul says, I want to know Christ. He was not talking intellectually. Paul was one of the most intellectual people the world had ever seen at that point. The Bible says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, the fastest progressing in his rank. That means he was moving up through Beit Sefer, Beit Talmud, Beit Midrash, and he was already a rabbi, and he was about to get to the point where he was running the show. So he wasn't talking intellectually. He knew everything he needed to know intellectually. He stopped and said, I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power that there is in the resurrection. And I understand the death and the burial and his sufferings so that I can be like him. Paul was talking about an identity change. That's what Paul was talking about. This is what is supposed to happen with water baptism. This is what is supposed to happen when you got water baptized. That when you said, I am born again and I believe in Jesus and you step into this water, it's I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live and I'm raised again in newness of life to be who Christ is in this earth. Not to say you got saved. 
It is not to say you got saved. We in America, we preach it. Oh, you're saved? Get baptized. Why? Well, it's what you do. No, it means you are now identifying with Jesus Christ. And anything in your life that would detract from your identification with Jesus Christ should have died in the water when you went down and you came up fresh and new. Some of you should probably get rebaptized because now you actually know what it means to be identified with Christ. The actual term where this came from is when they would have to dye cloth a different color. They would, what they would do is they would have a bowl of dye and they would have white cloth and they would dip it down in. If it was red, they, they needed red cloth. They would dip it down in and it would come up red signifying they re-identified complete change to red. It's now identified as a red cloth, not the white one. When you are born again and you get baptized, it is a re-identification process. It is the cutting off of the old you and the new you rising forth for you to walk forth in newness of power like never before. It's time to get re-identified in the body of Christ. The church, Christianity, being a Christian, many times this ship is sinking. The ship that we're on of discipleship is sinking because we always loved being saved, but we never intended on being a disciple. We love being saved, and I love being saved. Praise God, I'd never go back. I understand forgiveness and what I was forgiven of. I would never go back. But many of us, when we get born again, we never intended on becoming a disciple. And Jesus never said that. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Make people out there who look and act and are me here in this earth. Discipleship. Why do you think we push discipleship so much in the church? Why do you think our mission statement is get you born again, salvation, get you in discipleship? We want you to look like Jesus. We don't want the excuse out there, oh, but he was Jesus. No, he lives inside of you. And the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in you, that resurrection power. Now, here's the greatest news of the whole thing. Whenever Jesus called the 12, he said, come, follow me. By those simple words, Jesus broke every single rule of the Hasidim culture that he was in. He broke every one of them because Jesus took the step of faith first. He went and chose who he wanted to choose. Remember the rabbi-disciple relationship. The disciple would go to the rabbi and say, can I follow you? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went and saw people who were unlearned, uneducated fishermen, tax collectors, and said, follow me. And you know what they did? Immediately, the Bible says, they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus Christ. Immediately, they dropped their nets. Why? It would be like somebody coming in here and saying to you, it doesn't matter what education level you're at, hey, I'm ready for you to come be my star quarterback on an NFL football team, but you got to come right now. Some of y'all be freaked out and be like, I still don't know what to do. Follow him. <laughs> Go. You're going to get $35 million over five years. Okay? That's a no-brainer. So when Jesus came to the disciples and said, follow me, for the disciples, it was a no-brainer to drop everything immediately and go. They were now what everybody wanted to be, a disciple following a rabbi. Except he was no ordinary rabbi. He was the rabbi that would come change the world as we know it. It doesn't matter your skill level. It doesn't matter your learning abilities. It doesn't matter if you're dyslexic. It doesn't matter if you failed third grade five times. It doesn't matter where you're at in your thought process. It doesn't matter where you are at this morning, okay? Wherever you're at. Some of y'all are thinking, Pastor, but if I was just good enough, I, I could go to school and I could go to college. It doesn't matter. So anything that you're using as an excuse to why you're not fulfilling the call of Christ in your life, I'm telling you right now, it does not matter. Because listen to this statement that I'm going to close with. Effort requires no talent. I'm going to say that again. Effort requires no talent. I'm going to say it again. Effort requires no talent. 
It doesn't matter how smart you are, but if you'll start reading, you'll gain knowledge, wisdom, and understanding from the Lord Most High. It doesn't matter how talented you are. If you'll get up and practice preaching in front of the mirror to yourself, you'll be able to preach a quality message one day. Effort requires no talent, but you got to start putting out some effort to follow the rabbi close enough to get his dust on you. I am not the most talented person in the world. I'm not the greatest gifted athlete in the world. It doesn't matter. But just because Damon brought up CrossFit earlier, everybody at the gym knows I'm not the strongest, I'm not the fastest, whatever. But they will say this, you work harder than anybody we know. I have to, I'm 37, everybody else in there is 25. <laughs> but I'll put out effort where effort is required because I know I don't have all the greatest talents. But I know if I'll put out effort, God will honor me and bless me. And then I know it's not by power, not by might, but by his spirit, said the Lord of hosts. And 12 disciples turned a world that was upside down. They turned it right side up because they were uneducated, unlearned people that trusted in a Savior, began to follow a rabbi and put out effort. This morning, the first thing you got to do to put out effort is stand up and make a change. Make a change. 